Hello and welcome to The Debrief Live. I'm Angus Scott. Nothing was felt more on Gladys Street than the seismic shock of a 10-point deduction for Everton for breaching the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules. It was the biggest points penalty the league had ever handed out. The ruling threw the Toffees back into the relegation zone, one off the bottom on goal difference only and two points away from safety. With 26 games left in the season, Sean Dyche may feel he has enough time to guarantee Everton's survival in the Premier League. An appeal may help to. But what are the implications? What does it mean for Manchester City, a club charged with more than 100 counts of financial impropriety and waiting to hear its verdict from the Independent Commission? In a moment, lawyer Stefan Borson will join us. You may have heard him this week suggesting both Manchester City and Chelsea could be relegated were they to be found guilty of any charge. Remember, Chelsea haven't as yet been charged with anything by the Premier League. Stefan is a lawyer and businessman and is a former financial advisor to Manchester City. Fabrizio Romano will also be here shortly with news of what this means to Everton on the transfer market and also answers to questions about the likes of what next for Ruben Neves, Bruno Fernandes and Ivan Toney. As ever, Ben Jacobs is here today, back from a week in the Florida sunshine at the Soccer X conference. Were you stuck inside most of the time, Ben? Are you asking that because I haven't come back with a tan? <laughs> Your tan is not as good as Fabrizio's, as we will see in just a moment. <laughs> ben, um, tell me a little bit, recap what has happened to Everton and why. Yeah, I think you summed it up quite nicely in your introduction, but Everton have a 10-point deduction and it comes from breaching the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. And this was handed down from an independent commission in March, originally, when the referral was made and finally ruled over the course of the last few days. The original plan was to try and get a ruling either towards the end of the season or by June at the latest. And that's significant because it may have allowed for that 10-point penalty to be deducted from last season, in which case my club, Leicester, would have actually stayed up. But instead, it's been put on this season. Everton are now down to joint bottom. They're only not bottom because of goal difference, but they stand a chance of still clawing their way out. And most importantly, they will appeal. So we don't know whether this 10-point deduction is final. And that's quite an interesting debate because maybe it is harsh and severe as a deterrent and to make a statement, but ultimately Everton may succeed in their appeal. And as a consequence, we shouldn't look at this 10-point deduction as being set in stone. And the punishment comes from the fact that Premier League rules dictate that clubs can lose up to £105 million over a three-year cycle But there's certain mitigating circumstances that allow you to be more creative in layman's terms on the books, especially during the COVID pandemic. And this is the period in question. So Everton originally denied any wrongdoing and the Premier League maintained that Everton were almost £20 million over the agreed limit for losses. Everton then changed their tune slightly and accepted that there was a breach, but it was just under £10 million and that there were substantial, as they called it, mitigating circumstances, the costly project of their new stadium, the impact of COVID-19, and the fact that there were various sponsorship agreements that because of the war in Ukraine, Everton had to suspend. And those were linked with companies 
that were affiliated to the sanctioned oligarch Alicia Usmanov. So that's Everton's perspective. And they still stand by that. And they believe that this punishment was unjust. But the independent panel... Yeah, one part of this... That's right, Ben, because one point of this is, is that they, they felt the loans that they were taking out for the building of uh, of the new stadium shouldn't be a part of this. And it seems like the Independent Commission disagreed with that finding. Yeah, the Premier League referred to the Independent Commission. The Independent Commission determined that they were in breach. And this is the biggest ever penalty from the Premier League. So Everton will appeal. And that's a very key point in all of this, because we're starting with this premise now, again, that the 10-point deduction is severe, that it could result in relegation and so on. But ultimately, there's an appeals process and that has to run its course. And I'm not too surprised that the Independent Commission have set a statement here because it becomes a deterrent for other clubs. And we'll come a little bit later into how that ties into Manchester City and Chelsea. The other thing just to outline for those that are unfamiliar with the story is that concurrent to this case, another ruling was made public with a cluster of Premier League clubs who felt that they were impacted by the fact that Everton were able to stay up and hadn't been punished and were prepared to take collective legal action against Everton if found guilty. And that includes, for example, my club, Leicester, Leeds United and Burnley. Southampton and Nottingham Forest are the other two clubs. And it's unclear yet whether they will all take collective action. But you could certainly argue that in 2021-2022, and because there was no punishment in that season, the subsequent season... Everton obviously stayed in the Premier League and they may not have done so in either of those seasons if this type of points penalty stands. So the clubs that went down in each of those seasons, particularly the ones in the final relegation spot in place of Everton, if this punishment was to be retrospectively done in those seasons, may have a case for compensation. And that's Burnley and Leicester in particular. But other clubs may argue that they're impacted by things like prize money. Even some of the clubs that went down, if they were not in that final spot, may also maintain that they have been negatively influenced by the fact that Everton were able to stay up. So there may be a concurrent compensation claim to the tune of about 300 million that Everton also have to deal with. So it's going to be complicated. It's going to drag on. But I think we need to wait and see how successful Everton are in their appeal, which is likely to be resolved before the end of the season. OK, well, it'd be a good time now to bring in Stefan Borson, who was a financial advisor to Manchester City until 2007 while he was working at Investec. He was uh, engaged by them, we should point out, but not employed by the club and Stefan is with us now thanks for joining us on the debrief Stefan hi how are you doing yeah very well it, look it's complicated for a lot of people but um give us your understanding of why the Premier League has handed out this or the independent commission has handed this out this this verdict out on Everton I mean, I think it's an important starting point to say that the independent commission is uh, independent of the Premier League. And uh, once the investigation had been completed and the complaint made by the Premier League, uh, the whole matter passes to an independent commission. And we have to trust that the independent commission is actually independent of the Premier League uh, and therefore is providing something uh, to the best of its ability, uh, something that's legally correct and something that is robust upon challenge. And really the nub of, of how we end up in this situation in terms of 10 points and the sporting sanction is really around the assessment of the Independent Commission 
that Everton have had a sporting advantage. And there's been some controversy, I think, uh, around the Everton fan base as to whether that was the conclusion of the Independent Commission. But it's very clear in the judgment that the Independent Commission believes that over a period of four seasons, because of the way that the numbers work in this situation with COVID, over a period of four seasons, they have had a sporting advantage. And in that scenario, they believe that it's uh, appropriate for there to be a sporting sanction and not merely a financial sanction. And that's really where we see the step change from the way that UEFA uh, has generally approached breaches of financial fair play, where breaches have been generally settled by uh, compromise uh, and where penalties have been largely financial. So the, the key thing really is once you get to a point that uh, an independent commission assesses that there's been a sporting advantage, then, then you're into sporting sanction. And, and there's no guidelines uh, in the Premier League rules uh, as they sit now. Uh, Richard Masters did give evidence to the panel, um, to the commission, about the, the rules that he, he appears to want to say have been put in place but don't actually exist, which is a six-point penalty plus one point for every five million over the limit. Uh, the Independent Commission rejected uh, that assessment of the, the penalty, but uh, surprisingly or, or uh, usefully <laughs> came up with the same amount because it was a £20 million uh, breach. And so they added six plus four and came to 10 their own way. But they were very clear that the Premier League's own approach to this was not the approach they were taking and they didn't want their discretion fettered by uh, potential discussions that have happened at Premier League level when they don't appear in the rule book. Uh, it's interesting what you say about UEFA's compromise. One person's compromise is is, is another person's fudge, I, I would suggest. Um, but when we look at this point that the uh, Independent Commission has made, this is substantive this is the uh, one of the most well the most serious points deduction that that has ever been handed down on a premier league club let's look at it in the bigger uh, picture and i've heard you say um, recently in the last few days that it were manchester city and still uncharged chelsea uh, to be found guilty of anything then it's almost certainly a, a relegation in prospect for them such would be the uh, huge uh, amount of uh, contradiction to the the rulings that, that that they may have committed. Look, you've got to separate financial fair play from the sorts of allegations that are made against Manchester City and that are frankly admitted by Chelsea in respect of the off-book payments. So if we start with City, the allegations are effectively that over an 11-year period, the club has engaged in what can only be described as systematic uh, accounting uh, misdemeanors. And um, City have never shied away from that being the allegation that's been made to them. If you were to read the Cass judgment, you will see what City wrote uh, about the allegations made at that point. And the allegations are very similar in this situation. So um, these are the most serious allegations that can be made against uh, companies and against individuals. Uh, they are allegations of dishonesty, of deceit, of concealment. So it stands to reason, and, and frankly, this is not a, you know, I've not waited to see what the Everton judgment is. 
from the very first moment, in my view, once you get to a point where those allegations are made over an 11 year period, there can be no other conclusion that if proven, and it is a very big if, and I'll explain later if you want why it's a big if, but it's a very big if, but if it is proven, there can be no doubt that such um, such uh, behaviour will be punished in the most severe way, and it can only be relegation, uh, in, in my view. Uh, but I do think that it is an incredibly high hurdle that the Premier League has, just given the way that they've, one, set the case up, and two, the sorts of things that they're alleging. Um, with, with Chelsea, it's a similar situation. You, you, you're talking about, and in Chelsea, it's, it, it's even worse in some respects because it's admitted, but you're talking about systematic concealment of off-book, effectively fraudulent transactions that make their accounts for a very long period from, I mean, we don't even know the extent of it, but but something like a period of at least 10 years, we make, they make those accounts false. They don't cover all of the costs of, of the club at the time. They are admitted. And so you get to a point where the only conclusion of a panel can be uh, the most severe uh, sanctions and of course Chelsea will say that they should have uh, mitigation for admitting these matters when and if they're charged and uh, I'm pretty confident that they will be charged with these matters and they will seek mitigation for the fact that they cooperated and admitted these things and no doubt they will get some mitigation the problem that Chelsea have got is that the aggravating factors are so severe given what I've just said about concealment and the nature of the payments that have been made that it's not going to save them from the most severe sanctions from an independent commission, in my view. Can I just clarify one thing you said that, you know, we do differentiate between Man City and what's happened to Everton, but is not part of the charge to Man City that they uh, did not comply with the uh, regulations around club licensing and financial fair play? during yeah. three seasons, 13, 14, 14, 15, and 17, 18, which is similar to what Everton have been charged with. It is, but the, the reality is that the breaches of the both the UEFA situation and also of the Premier League situation in terms of the FFP regimes there, they will be a consequence of a finding that the underlying matters, i.e. the sponsorship arrangements and the off-book payments, were proven, in which case the... The, the matters, the core matters, the substantive matters to which they relate are far more serious than a breach of the, the profit and sustainability rules. So, yes, they will, of course, have some penalty in respect of those as well. But the penalties that they're going to get in respect of if proven, and as I say, very, very big if, if proven, the penalties in respect of those sponsorship agreements that are effectively alleged to be fake, and of those off-book payments, which are effectively alleged to be um, off-book, the penalties in respect of those are going to blow out of the water any uh, analysis of penalties in respect of the PNS or UEFA uh, licensing. So that's why I focus in on the core substantive matters, because once if the Premier League fail to prove their case in respect of the substantive matters, the sponsorships and the off-book payments, then the whole thing falls away and you're effectively just left with the non-cooperation charge, which I don't think will uh, receive a sporting sanction, purely because of what I said earlier about the Everton situation, in that there's no sporting advantage. 
the cooperation situation is very much first of all it's very debatable one man's cooperation is another man's obstruction and at the end of the day the likelihood is that there could be at least i would think at least a million pages of documents that are going to be in play on the city case we know from the everton case that just in the bundle that was there available to the hearing there was 28000 documents not 28000 pages 28000 documents and and in terms of the complexity of the situations the Everton situation is a walk in the park compared to the City one. Stefan, I just want to come and zoom in on each of the clubs one by one. But before that, I want to clarify your take on the word relegation in relation to either Manchester City or Chelsea, if they are charged. And we should stress that Chelsea haven't been charged yet with anything by the Premier League. When you say relegation, are you talking about a punishment that actually excludes potentially Manchester City from the club or just a default relegation because you think the points deduction would be so big? I just think it's an important clarification because there's a lot yeah. being said on 30 points. But if it's towards the end of a season when Man City have already got 90 points in the bag, then you could deduct them 50 points and they still wouldn't go down. Uh, look, people are plucking numbers out of the air. Nobody knows. right? There is no tariff. OK, so... These are unprecedented matters. It was unprecedented in respect of Everton. They tried to look at um, precedents such as the EFL's um, guidelines. They they listened to the evidence given by the Premier League and they effectively ignored all of it and came up with their own tariff. 30 points is plucked out of the air. And, and the reality is that I don't know whether it's going to be 100 points, relegation, 50 points that gives them a chance of survival, whatever. Who knows? Uh, and frankly, uh, the only the, the people that know probably haven't even been constituted at this stage because an independent commission will be set up. It may or may not have been set up at this point. We, we have no information about when that hearing is going to be. I have seen it reported that it will be in 2024, and it may well be. But it may well be that if it is in 24, we still don't even know who the independent commission will be. And we don't know how they're going to come up with their assessment, if proven, of, of the penalty. And there is another issue in respect of this and the relegation and, and how that works, because the independent commission will should not look at the timing uh, of the football season. And there is this sort of theoretical possibility that you have a situation where, let's say, um, City or Chelsea, and I accept what you say, that Chelsea have not been charged, and that is true and should be made clear. Um, but let's say they, they, they're found against and let's say that the punishment is relegation. But let's say the independent commission, by the time that they come with, up with their judgment, just happens to come out with that judgment on the 1st of September. So the season just kicked off and it says we're relegating Manchester City. Well, then what happens? The season's just started. Are we expecting City to play the entire season out and then get relegated? Or let's say another scenario where City... Uh, get uh, uh, City or Chelsea get a hundred point deduction um, in May. So the so the independent commission is very kindly has very kindly waited till the end of the season. They've said right, it's one hundred points. You are therefore relegated, and you're relegated in the forthcoming season. The season starts, and City go for an appeal, and the appeal says we don't know what the independent commission was was looking at here. Of course, these matters are not proven. Uh, they're not relegated anymore. 
Well, they've already gone down into the lower division. So the point I'm making is nobody knows, right? Nobody knows how it would be constructed, how many points it might be, how uh, the appeals process will fit into it, how the independent commission is going to deal with the timing issues. Nobody knows. This is all completely unprecedented. There is no guidebook for it. There is no rule book for it. Everybody is making it up as they go along. And, and the amazing thing is that even the Premier League is probably very, very nervous about the outcome of its own complaint. You know, we've got this very strange situation where, although I think the Premier League is comfortable that it's taken action aggressively against one of its clubs in City, and as I say, I expect to do so against Chelsea, I think the big issue uh, that the Premier League has got is that it's going to be very hard to contain the consequences of this situation in an orderly manner, because you'd mentioned just earlier about compensation to, for clubs. The rule book says in in uh, in Rule fifty one point five W fifty one point five, as you referred to the other um, uh, um, judgment that was given at the same time as the Everton judgment. It says that the independent commission can award compensation to other clubs or persons. Now. In the scenario, let's say that we're talking about City, let's say those those matters are proven. They're proven over 11 years. The number of clubs that might have a claim, I mean, it doesn't. It's impossible to kind of figure out how an independent commission can possibly hope to deal with the causation debate and calculation of losses in respect to what might be 25 different teams. It might even be more. You know, just one place in this league is two million pounds. So it's an incredibly difficult situation. It's incredibly complicated. Um, I think that the Premier League has been uh, a little naive in the way that it's approached it because it's bitten off, uh, certainly in respect of City, a case that is far uh, bigger than it needed to be. So um, there's, you know, we, we can all ask these questions, but the reality is nobody knows. Yeah, so don't get too sucked in by the headlines. I think we should also point out, speaking to sources, yes, relegation through a points deduction or being kicked out of the league, but expulsion is different to relegation as well. And there's no obligation for the EFL to take a team that was kicked out of the Premier League. They could, but a team could also be put right at the bottom of the English football pyramid as well. But I want to, Stefan, take them one by one. Manchester City, first of all, you mentioned there's no guide. I suppose the only guide we've got is what's already happened as far as Manchester City and UEFA. Explain why it is an if that Manchester City will be charged and how helpful is it to Manchester City that they have been successful at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, albeit with some charges where there may be overlap, but others that the Premier League can look at because they're not subject to anything that's time barred. Well, there's a few points there. So, first of all, they have been charged, of course, uh, by the Premier League. Um, um, and um, look, the, the two cases are very similar. I mean, you know, we can all talk about how CAS is different and CAS has a different statute of limitations. The reality is, and people will, one or two people will say that I'm wrong, but I'm pretty confident I'm not, that there is a statute of limitations in the Premier League rules. It is a common misconception that there is no time bar. Um, the statute of limitations in respect to the Premier League rules is English law. So it's very clearly uh, stated within the Premier League rules that the Premier League rules are subject to English law and English law would give a statute of limitations of six years. Now, clearly, where those matters relate to fraudulent or concealed matters, then 
the, the Premier League will argue that the statute of limitations should fall away. But the reality is, if UEFA wanted to have argued that, they also could have done. I think fundamentally, in terms of the substantive uh, issues that were addressed by CAS, they're very similar. And, and ultimately, CAS heard uh, a range of evidence, witness evidence, um, and documentary evidence and expert evidence and concluded that those matters were unproven. Um, the, uh, the evidential hurdle is very similar uh, in the, uh, with the independent commission uh, and therefore you can expect it to, to require uh, cogent evidence to effectively find against City because the nature of those matters, and particularly in English law, means that there is a presumption that people do not act dishonestly. dishonestly. And there is inherent in the allegations against City, there is an allegation of dishonesty. And, and, and further than that, to find against City would be effectively to have said that a number of people lied and perjured themselves to the CAS court and no independent commission is going to want to do that uh, softly. Uh, it, it will be a big step for them to do that. Um, so I would, you know, I, I would say that the, the 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 starting point and the default would be to consider the evidence that was presented at CAS, to consider the CAS judgment as being something that provides a lot of comfort for City. The flip side is that the independent commission because it's all conducted both by the Premier League rules and under English law, is going to have access to many more documents than appear to be available uh, to UEFA and CAS. And that's why when we look at the Everton case, and I mentioned earlier that there was 40,000 documents exchanged between the parties and 28,000 documents in the, in, the, in the trial bundle, there will be a vast number of documents available to the Premier League uh, for which they uh, will, will seek to build their case against Manchester City. But that does not go against the ultimate uh, challenge for them, which is to effectively allege that City are at the centre of one of the largest accounting uh, sort of scandals in, in, in British corporate history. No, no uh, company uh, that I've been able to find has been required to restate its accounts for a period of 11 years because of um, such uh, systematic, uh, long-standing um, uh, irregularities with its finances. And I can't believe that the Independent Commission is the perfect place to, uh, to, to find such a, um, such a situation. But we will see. Um, but that really goes to why this is such a grave allegation against City and why I say the Premier League has over, overreached somewhat and didn't need to go as far as it has. It's made it much more difficult. But we should be very clear that there is a statute of limitations uh, in the Premier League rules, uh, as you would expect, because you know it would, it would be uh, a, a bit perverse to have a situation where none exists whatsoever. And we could all go back and have a look at what happened in the 90s to mm -hmm. United, Chelsea... Uh, Arsenal, etc., and, and and start to unpick some of those situations. Clearly, nobody's going to do that. Um, but I would say, um, you, you know, you should assume that as a default there is a statute of limitations. But it, it, it it's a kind of ir irrelevance anyway, because the matters are of such a scale and importance and and seriousness that the independent commission will have to deal with much bigger issues than statute of limitations. Let's just talk about Chelsea as well. No charges from the Premier League, but the new ownership group, clearly, Bowley, 
had self-declared financial irregularities to UEFA at the same time. For those unaware, they'd also informed the FA and the Premier League. So the Premier League are investigating. With UEFA, there's already a settlement and Chelsea have paid 10 million euros or about 8.5 million pounds and they will not face sporting sanctions. Now, when the sale was complete in May 2022, the new Chelsea owners were made aware of financial liabilities and they'd set aside around £100 million from the sale price to deal with them. It's unclear subsequent to that whether they're now aware of more or whether everything that has come out in the public domain Chelsea's owners were made aware of at the time. But either way, for now, the UEFA settlement is done. It could be reopened if Chelsea are deemed to have misled them. And the Premier League will determine whether to levy any charges. So, Stefan, in that context, is the fact that Chelsea's owners are driving this and being transparent going to help them in any way? Or if the breaches are charged and proven to be historical and severe and persistent, will they ultimately face the same kind of punishments that Manchester City will if they're found guilty? Well, well I, I say they will. Um, uh, uh, you know, if you look at it logically, so in the entity is the is ultimately liable. So Chelsea and not the owners are ultimately liable for the actions of the club historically. So the fact that it's changed hands in ownership terms is an issue for the owners in terms of claiming compensation from the people that sold them the the, the business that had that issue. But overall. Uh, it's not going to protect Chelsea as the entity. Then you've got the situation in terms of guilt, where they're going, it, it appears, they're going to admit it. Whether they've admitted every individual uh, publicised uh, back pay, off, off, um, off books payment so far is unclear, as you say. Uh, but we know that a large number of them have been admitted um, already to UEFA and the Premier League. And you would think along those lines that uh, the new regime will admit all of them because they're consistent in terms of how they came about, what they relate to and the nature of those sorts of payments. So you would imagine that we will get to a situation where there is a whole list of these payments that are alleged and you would think the vast majority will be admitted to Chelsea. At that point, really, the only discussion for an independent commission is to look at the aggravating factors and the mitigating factors and then to come up with a sanction. And as I said earlier, I, as, as much as I believe that uh, admitting these things is going to give Chelsea some cover, the nature and the aggravating factors of payments of that nature, and importantly, the absolutely crystal clear sporting advantage that they got. I mean, this is not a difficult one to, to establish. Chelsea were one of the most successful clubs almost specifically because some of these players that they signed that are said to be at the centre of these allegations, Edin Hazard, um, uh, Willian, you know, a lot of these are players who they actually took in competitive uh, circumstances from other clubs in the Premier League. So the idea that, that, that Chelsea could argue that in some way it had no impact from a sporting perspective is fanciful. So they will lose on that argument and they will also have very, very severe aggravating factors. So I would imagine that the Premier League is going to have to push very, very hard for a serious punishment. I don't know why UEFA effectively concluded 
with you know a relatively minor fine. These are very serious matters, uh, given the admission. And I think Chelsea have got away very lightly from the UEFA situation. But it just highlights the approach of UEFA being different to the approach of the Premier League so far in respect of these things, albeit that we have very limited a very limited data set to to kind of assess those things. What is the uh, appeals process, Stefan? Because it, it differs from UEFA's uh, policy where, where you can appeal to CAS. That's not a viable option for Everton. No, correct. Um, in some ways, that's that's easier for them. Uh, so the appeals process is, is quite straightforward uh, in respect of the Everton situation. So I think it's within 14 days. It might be 21 days. They need to let the independent commission know that they want, or the judicial panel, I think it is, that they want an appeal. An appeals board, so three different people, will then be uh, set up to assess the case. They um, can set directions, as it's known. In, it, really, they can set the rules up however they wish. And um, so they can, they'll come up with their own set of rules for the appeal. And the parties are then invited to make oral representations um, to, uh, to the appeals uh, board. Uh, and the appeals board can then do whatever they want. So they can uh, agree with the independent commission. They can disagree. They can set a new tariff. They can send it back to the original independent commission. Um, they can effectively do whatever. Um I think in this situation, given where we started with this and given the fact that the two parties are really not that far apart, both admit, well, but both both accept there's a breach. Um, and really all we're talking about is the difference between a £10 million breach and a £20 million breach. And so the reality is that the, the, um, the appeals board is looking only at a very, very tight range of issues here. Um, and as I say, uh, you know, they may have a slightly... Uh, bigger issue in terms of the sporting advantage one. But other than that, it's really going to be an argument about whether there's any good precedence for uh, Everton to have been treated a bit more leniently than, than, than 10 points. And I don't think it's going to be a great, um, it's not going to take a very long, long time. There's, there's not huge amounts of submissions that are going to be required. And I think the judgment will come out relatively quickly, such that this situation is dealt with um, you know, by probably by the end of January, certainly by the end of February, and we'll know where we are. And if Everton were to win their appeal, I wonder what it says about the, the commission itself, that, that actually it's not very robust. Man City, who have made sure that this process has lasted as long as possible and made it as complex as possible, they'll look on it and go, well, there is no substance to the independent, uh, independent commission. And they will be less concerned about whatever finding they may have on their more than 100 uh, accusations. Well, I think there's two aspects of that. City would deny straight away that they've made it more complex. I think the Premier League has made it, uh, I would suggest the Premier League made it more complex than it needed to be. It should have, uh, it should have approached it by um, attacking a more uh, manageable number of allegations than than going after 11 years of allegations. I think that was an unnecessary and not not very smart. Um, once you make those sorts of allegations that that are as serious as they are, um, City must be given the opportunity to defend themselves, and the process has to take as long as it takes. So that's what's going on in, in respect of that. I think the Independent Commission generally is in a okay position in respect of Everton because, as I say, I think it's very unlikely that this is going to be uh, overturned in some dramatic way. Uh, we might get a tweak 
but we might get no tweak at all. Um, and I think the the judgment from uh, the uh, from from the independent commission was was well well reasoned. Uh, was detailed in terms of its findings and appeared to be you know extremely reasonable. Uh, and at the end of the day, people need to remember that findings were made against uh, Everton that they breached the duty of good faith of the Premier League. That's a very serious matter. That they were less than frank in terms of some of their submissions to the Premier League. Again, very serious. And and that they accepted that they breached. So, you know, Everton, I, I have some sympathy with them because it, it must be a shock to lose 10 points. But the reality is this has been coming for quite some time. Most of us that looked at from a footballing perspective looked at it and said, what are they doing? You know, they're spending an absolute fortune here with no certainty of a return and the players they're buying don't seem to be up to the standard that's required and they are going to risk breaching financial fair play and sure enough they have and they've got a problem going forward because what's going to happen is that the the they had they had the benefit of 70 million pounds of covid allowances they're going to fall away in due course because of the way the three year um, the three year assessment works they are going to be in the fourth year very shortly and they're going to have to beat financial fair play again, but without the benefit of 70 million pounds of adjustments. And that's going to be very difficult for them. So Chelsea, you know, to, not Chelsea, Everton, to an extent, have only got themselves to blame. And that's really what the judgment says. Um, and, and that's why we're only talking about um, an appeal that might be around the edges and, and is not going to overturn it in any dramatic way, in my opinion. Just on Chelsea, and it might be a little bit left field, I'm intrigued to know whether you think Clearlate Bowley could actually have a case against Roman Abramovich if anything progresses, and it has obviously already done so with UEFA. So with that case, it's clear that they offset the liability from the original sale price. So the money paid from the settlement is effectively deducted from what they were going to pay Abramovich. But let's just say hypothetically a situation emerges where Chelsea are charged, they haven't been at the moment, and the consequences are grave. Are clearly Bowley going to have to accept that even though it was a super speed sale, this was not spotted in the due diligence and they could have had the opportunity to discover it, even though it was a rush sale? Or with the sale funds still frozen in a UK government account, could Clearlate Bowley effectively say, if there are dire consequences that result in relegation, expulsion, or significant financial penalties, they actually want to go back and somehow recoup some of the money that they paid to buy Chelsea in the first place because they've been blindsided. Is there any legal possibility that Clearlate Bowley could effectively try and sue Abramovich? Yeah, I mean, look, it's case specific. We don't know the details of the due diligence or the... The, the representations that were made in respect of these historic payments. Clearly, there has been some disclosure of uh, questionable, shall we say, charitably, um, off-book payments that have been made historically. So we don't know how comprehensive the disclosures were. But but fundamentally, absolutely. I mean, this is a situation where potentially there is misrepresentation from the sellers of Chelsea to Clear Lake, and there is, it appears, likely to be quite substantial losses to Clear Lake above and beyond those captured by the £100 million retention from, from the purchase price. And remember, this is a deal where I've been on record as saying I think they've overpaid. So, so in those sorts of circumstances, buyers of businesses where they believe they've overpaid and then believe that they may have the ability to go back and try and find something um, to make a, a very material claim against the seller is something that they're going to try and do. Now, clearly, 
in this situation, there are some um, unusual circumstances, shall we say, given the way that the, the funds have effectively gone into a charity account, um, which, which will make it more complex. And of course, it is possible that no warranties were given in respect of certain matters, which means that there's no way in which uh, Clear Lake can claim. But, you know, if there are a whole load of things that are coming out that Clear Lake didn't know about. So in these Cyprus papers, if there are a whole load of things that that are a surprise to Chelsea and Clear Lake, I'd expect that they're speaking to their lawyers about uh, whether there is a, a potential case here if this goes against them. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, we can we can we can quote many uh, corporate takeovers that, that that have ended up in the courts. You, you look at something like Hewlett Packard and, and autonomy, where where things weren't revealed or didn't seem to be uh, what they were at the time. I want to ask. Just I know we've got to wrap up, Stefan. So I just want to ask you uh, one further question in in light of what you think might happen next. But is there a danger from Manchester City's perspective? You talk about the accounting irregularities that this ends up as a corporate matter. And actually, uh, HMRC start looking at this and the revenue actually call on on Man City and do an investigation themselves. And there is an even bigger penalty for them. Uh, all sorts of things could flow from a finding of an independent commission that says that uh, all of these things are true. I mean, you know, that's the scale of the allegation. The allegation is as serious as it comes. And if that is upheld, even by an independent commission, which is not a judicial body, but but nevertheless um, will be an indicator that they found some wrongdoing. Uh, I think it's very hard to see how it will all play out. There's too many uncertainties, but and especially given that there's even even above and beyond the corporate situation, there's the accounting. Uh, you know, the auditors will, are going to have to account for how they've they've got it wrong. Um, were they misled by uh, representations made by the company? Uh, there's then the whole situation of the geopolitical aspects in terms of our relations with uh, with certain nations. So it it would be wrong to speculate just because there's just so many moving parts in that sort of scenario. Um, but it goes back to what I said earlier about the, the danger from the Premier League's perspective of making the case that they made. Um, and I, you know, I've said before, I thought it was uh, a naive thing to do because this this could turn into a very, very difficult situation, not just for the Premier League, but more generally. Um, and some people say, well, so be it. Who cares? And, and fair enough. Um, but uh, it, there's no way to answer your question except, except to say, yes, is it possible? Yes, lots of things are possible. Almost anything is possible if the case goes against City because of the nature of the allegations. OK, then. Let's return it to Everton. Finally, how quickly do you think this appeal might um, deliver its verdict? And do you expect that 10-point penalty to be upheld? You did hint at that earlier on, that that, that might be the case for you. I think it'd be quite quick um, in terms of considering it, just because I don't think there's great arguments around. You know, they don't have... There's not an obvious, um, I mean, they'll try and find it clearly. The, the way these things work is all the lawyers will get around in a room and come up with some creative ideas and how they can undermine the uh, the judgment. But I think trying to look at it in the cold light of day, I think, I think it's unlikely that they've got great arguments. Uh, and on that basis, I think it can be dealt with quickly. And I think that they're probably, their best case is probably four points uh, off the, the 10. So, 
you know, the range, maybe six to 10 points. I think it's very unlikely that they will overturn the whole thing uh, and make it a financial penalty only. Um, and, uh, you know, they're not in a great position to pay the financial penalty anyway. So um, I'm not sure that particularly uh, helps them. This might be a season where they're okay with with eight points, 10 points. I mean, it could happen in worse seasons than this one. Uh, I and think you're, that you're absolutely right. You're right. There are three be, sides that are pretty poor. Yeah. yeah. They may be more concerned, you know, about the, the, the potential compensation issue that they've got from the other clubs as well. Um, you know, that's got, it's just not clear how that's going to be dealt with, the scale of it, whether it's going to turn into something more serious than just the commission coming up with the numbers. You know, they'll be concerned about that as well. That might be a bigger issue in some ways. Yeah, I mean, you say it's perhaps the ideal season. I agree with you on the field. But remember, off the field, you've got 777 partners looking to come in at the club. Surely this could affect any completion of that takeover. Yeah, but they must have, you know, they must have known and they must have been. The, the, the parties have known for a while that the Premier League wanted a 12-point um, penalty. Um, so I, I very much doubt that it's come as a complete surprise internally at Everton. They may have been hoping that it wasn't going to be 10 points, but they must have known that there was a very strong chance that it was going to be some points, especially when they looked at, for example, the Football League uh, sanctions that have been taken historically um, and, and, and just the mood music. You know, we're in a situation now where there's a lot of noise around financial fair play. There's a lot of noise around cheating um, in, in those terms. And it's not a big surprise, I think, in that in that context that they've been hit by a sporting sanction. And most people would agree, you know, that if you overspend, clearly it has an impact on the pitch. And if it has an impact on the pitch, then it is a sporting advantage. And if it's a sporting advantage, then the sanction should be a sporting penalty. Most people that look at the scenario would accept that as a principle. Stefan, we really appreciate uh, you joining us on the debrief. Been fascinating to listen to you and getting uh, your insight on what is a very complex affair. Uh, Stefan Borson, a former financial advisor to Manchester City, thanks so much for your time. Thanks a lot. Well. Um, a little bit earlier on, we caught up with Fabrizio Romano to ask what those implications of that 10-point sanction might be for Everton and for others. So, Fabrizio, we are discussing Everton's points deduction and also the possibility that Manchester City and Chelsea could be relegated, should they be found guilty of anything. But let's return to Everton. Will they have to be conservative in January, bearing in mind they are now 10 points further down the table than they were originally? Yeah, I think, yes. Obviously, Everton, as, as you were discussing, will be prepared to, to fight for, for their position. So that's for sure. And we will see how that will follow in the next weeks. But at the same time, I don't expect them to go very big on the January transfer window. So to answer your question, I expect them to be conservative at the moment there is nothing concrete in terms of negotiation yet because obviously Everton want to see how to discuss this this big issue they have and then to enter into the January transfer window topics so at the moment nothing concrete in terms of names but as a strategy I expect them to be conservative yes well Chelsea haven't been charged unclear if 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 they will be um do you expect it to be business as usual for them in January will we potentially see a striker and a, and a centre-back coming in 
Yeah, I expect, uh, I expect them to be to be active in the January transfer window. Then uh, I expect Chelsea to be more smart, I would say. So less confusion. Uh, I think the best news for Chelsea in this moment is that there are no news around the club, finally, after two years of many rumours and stories about directors, owners, managers, players every single day. Now the situation looks very quiet and this is really important to work in the best way, to work behind the scenes and this is what they're doing because the striker remains the priority. So we always mention here Victor Osiman, Ivan Toni, but I'm still told that for Osiman nothing is changing in terms of availability for the January transfer window. So I don't see him moving in January also because it's a very complicated season for Napoli and the president want to keep him otherwise it would be a really complicated and tense situation with the fans in, uh, in Napoli then obviously in the summer it could be different for Ivan Toni I will keep the situation open uh, it's true that Brentford will fight to keep the player till the end of the season in every way but it's also true that Ivan Toni wants to try a new experience want to play for a top top club and so Chelsea are still interested. Let's see if they will decide to attack the situation to open negotiations at the moment, not yet. But for sure, they are considering this possibility to bring in a new striker in uh, in January. And same for the centre-back. Uh, in terms of centre-backs, I expect Chelsea to offload or sell uh, Trevor Chaloba. They have to find a solution because also on the player side, he wants to go, he wants to play football. And so I expect Chaloba to leave Chelsea in January and then to try to bring in a new a new centre-back. They are looking at the market, still nothing decided. We have many links, but from what I'm told, they're still exploring options, nothing imminent, but centre-back is another position they want to cover in 2024. Fabrizio, Romelu Lukaku scored four for Belgium yesterday. Do Roma want to make his move permanent and will they have to pay the release clause number in his contract? Yeah, first of all, from what I'm told, it's, it's not a proper release clause, but it's, it's like a release clause. It's like a verbal agreement, a gentleman agreement between the agents of the player and Chelsea. Chelsea don't want to be in the same position as one year ago, uh, sorry, as one couple of months ago. So last summer transfer window, when they had to negotiate with Juventus, with Inter, then with Roma, it was a very complicated summer for Chelsea around the Romero Lukaku story. So there is this exit uh, way for, for Lukaku, this is around 40 million. So for that fee, the deal could be possible not just for Roma, but for any club. Why? Because from what I'm told, and also to answer your question about Roma, at the moment, Roma have still no clarity of what's going to happen for next season. There is still no clarity on the future of Jose Mourinho, still no clarity on the future of the director, Thiago Pinto. Uh, all their contracts are expiring in the summer, and at the moment, still no final decision has been made. So it's too early to, to decide for Roma uh, whether they can pay that money for Romelu Lukaku or not. And also, uh, same, we have to see what's going to happen in terms of manager, director, strategy. So I think this is something that they will decide around March, April, when their final position will be clear. Let's talk about Manchester United. Big changes incoming. Jim Ratcliffe's 25% stake could be announced this week. And even though the sporting structure is unclear at the club, links remain ahead of January. Antoine Griezmann to Manchester United. That's the latest report out there. Any truth? I think it's impossible, uh, honestly. Um, I'm not aware of any contact. But also, um, not just about, it's not just about contacts or dreams or negotiations. From what I'm told, in the summer transfer window, it was June, Griezmann was approached by Saudi club with a crazy proposal, but really crazy in terms of salary. He was going to be one of the best played players there. And he didn't even want to negotiate uh, because Griezmann is in love with Atletico Madrid. He already left Atletico Madrid to join Barcelona in a special moment of his career. And he's regretting that decision because now he's back at the club. He's doing fantastic. He feels very well with the fans at the city, the players there, the, his teammates, the manager. So I don't see Griezmann leaving Atletico Madrid, not at all, and not even in January. So I think this is absolutely impossible. And what about reports linking Bruno Fernandes to Saudi Arabia? 
same at the moment i think these these links are, are normal because many players will be will be linked with saudi move especially in january and then again in the summer but at the moment there is there is nothing bruno is only focused on manchester united uh, i think it was one year ago when he extended his contract and so for for May united the position is very clear bruno is a very important player and he's very happy there so from from what i'm told there is nothing at all now then in the future never say never because bruno could be a very attractive player for that kind of of countries and for Saudi league but as of now there is nothing and in January nothing is going to happen Bruno is taking we spoke last week um, Fabrizio about Ruben Neves to Newcastle if tomorrow's vote allows for that possibility but what about Ruben Neves to Arsenal instead Look, I think we have these links because of Mikel Arteta. From from what I'm told, Arteta has always been a big fan of Ruben Neves, always appreciated the player since he was at Wolves. Uh, he was always one of the midfielders that he indicated to, to the directors and to the director, Edu, when they were in meetings in the last two, three years discussing midfielders. So the name of Ruben Neves was always around. I think that's why we have this link. At the moment, there are no, no negotiations. From what I understand, the dream target for Arsenal in the midfield remains Douglas Lewis from Aston Villa. Is a very complicated deal because Aston Villa are doing fantastic. They don't want to lose key players in January. And also they want a very big package of money for, uh, for Douglas Lewis. So I think it's going to be very difficult. But from what I understand, the dream target is, is Douglas Lewis. At Arsenal, they see him as the perfect midfielder, uh, also with big potential for the future. And so for Ruben Neves, I think could be one of the backup options in case they can't make the deal happen for, uh, for Douglas Lewis. But for sure, it's going to be an interesting January window for Arsenal in terms of midfielders because of the injury of Thomas Partey. Yes, well, a- another one for the future may be Antonio Nusa, the, um, the the teenager playing at Bruges. Now, Arsenal in for him. Do you expect him to join uh, the Emirates in January? And is it true that Fulham have also entered the race for uh, Nusa? Look, I, I was asking about that exactly two days ago, and the answer I got is that there are more than 10 clubs following this boy. He's in England, some club in England, some club in France, some club in Germany. They love this player, but nothing will be decided now from what I understand. No November, no December. I don't think uh, it's likely for him to move in the January transfer window. Only a really crazy proposal could change the situation. But at the moment, the situation is very quiet because Nusa is not in a rush. Uh, He's going to probably move in the summer transfer window. At the moment, it's nothing concrete. It's just about scouting the boy. So I'm sure that there are many, many clubs interested. But Nusa will take his time. He's a very smart guy. Uh, his agent is well connected with many important clubs around Europe. And so I think they will take some time before deciding, OK, this is the right step for the boy. And a final word on, on Brighton's Evan Ferguson. He's only just extended his contract, but could a move still happen in 2024? And if so, where might he end up? Look, at the moment, from what I'm told, he extended the contract because he's very happy there. He's very happy at Brighton. Uh, he believes that Brighton is the perfect place to be, to develop and then maybe move in the future. So I'm not sure that a move in summer 2024 is going to be possible and, and likely at this stage. He's very happy there and that's why he accepted to, to extend the contract. Then we know in the transfer window, sometimes crazy things happen. We remember that Moises Caicedo, for example, to stay at Brighton, uh, he was valued around 70, 75 million euros and then they were able to sell him for 120. So we know that magic things can happen at Brighton and in case they receive crazy proposals anything can, can happen but at this stage they are very happy with him they believe that they can maybe sell him in the future maybe in two years for example for really crazy money and so I'm not sure that it's going to happen next summer and I think the situation is more open for the future than for the present or for summer 24. Fabrizio as ever thank you very much indeed for your time keep enjoying the sunshine in Napoli and we <laughs> will speak to you next week. Thank you thank you and see you soon ciao. Ciao Fabrizio. Ciao. 
Ben, I think what we learned from that chat is that look, Everton aren't going to panic. Um, Chelsea will carry on spending. And as far as Stefan was concerned, there are so many improbables and unanswered questions. We we can't really foresee what is going to happen. This is this is testing new ground uh, for the Premier League and any independent commission set up. Yeah, I think you're right. It's very important not to be sucked in by headlines around 30-point deductions or more or relegation. And there's an appeals process as well. So even anything that is handed down is challengeable. And on the one hand with Everton, we've got something concrete that could set a precedent. But on the other hand, it could be reduced or overturned with Manchester City it's normal and natural to say if that's Everton's punishment and Manchester City are found guilty, it's going to be more severe. I think that's a logical conclusion. But as Stefan said, it's an if Manchester City are found guilty, even though most people are presuming it's a when. But they did the same with the UEFA case and Manchester City went to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and were able to overturn that. Chelsea is the most fascinating one for me because one, there are no Premier League charges at the moment. And two, it crosses over two different regimes. So the key question is, Clear Lake Bowley are trying to be transparent and self-report. And in doing so, are they going to open up Pandora's box or will it help them create mitigating circumstances that ultimately resolve this in a more amicable way? And Stefan's conclusion is that Chelsea, if they are charged are going to be in big, big trouble, but they haven't been charged yet. So this is a watershed moment, I think, because we're going to find out how robust the independent commission is, how aggressive the Premier League are, and whether the clubs have a defence. And if they don't, then we're in a situation where, big or small, a club is going to be susceptible to a very large punishment. So it may take some time to get a conclusion, but when we finally get that conclusion... Football may change as far as the rules and the punishments in this domain very severely. So we need to watch it closely, but we do also need to be very cautious to point out that Everton are appealing. Manchester City, we don't have a verdict yet. Chelsea are not yet charged by the Premier League. And all of this may take some time to resolve itself. Which leaves us plenty of time to come back and discuss this, which no doubt we will. And it, it, may, it may be as soon as you know Everton get their verdict from their appeal, which Stefan was suggesting shouldn't be too long. And I think they, everyone uh, at the Premier League and certainly at Everton would like this done as, as quickly as possible. Whatever happens, of course, we will reflect it here on The Debrief. Ben, thanks very much indeed for your company and uh, for explaining so many things, uh, as well as Stefan Borson, who was with us a little bit earlier and just explaining some of the intricacies and the ins and outs of what is a very delicate and difficult matter facing the Premier League and, at the moment, Everton and Man City and maybe soon to come, Chelsea. That's it for this week's Debrief. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.